what is really remarkable is that we have been able to discover a way to be able to identify voice biomarkers specifically as it correlates to depression through short snippets of freeform speech. Welcome everyone to the 5-Year Frontier podcast, a preview of the future through the eyes of the innovators shaping our world. Through short, insight-packed interviews, I seek to bring you a glimpse of what a key industry could look like five years out. I'm your host, Daniel Darling. I'm a venture capitalist at Focal, where I spend my days with founders at the very start of their journey to transform an entire industry. The best have a distinct vision of what's to come, a guiding North Star that they're building towards, and that's what I'm here to share with you. Today's episode is about the future of mental and cognitive health. In it, we focus on the groundbreaking innovation of using just our voice to identify and address cognitive issues. We cover the cost and scalability of this approach, how it could identify complex conditions such as Alzheimer's and even Parkinson's, what role Google and Apple have in all of this, as well as the hurdles to mass adoption for the healthcare industry. We have a wonderful guide in this discussion with Grace Chang, founder and CEO of Kintsugi. Kintsugi is a Berkeley-based tech company on a mission to scale access to mental healthcare by pioneering voice biomarker technology. With just 20 seconds of speech, Kintsugi can pick up on depression, on anxiety, with over 80% clinical accuracy. And this is a technology that works across multiple languages. Named by Forbes as a top 50 AI company, it has received almost 30 million in funding from the National Science Foundation and tier one VCs such as Insight Partners. Grace is an engineer and a product developer by background, having worked as a technology leader across multiple startups using data in novel ways such as the security firm Unify ID, which would authenticate a user's identity by monitoring their behavior. So a really warm welcome to you today, Grace. Thank you so much for chatting to me. And let's just dive straight into this industry. Now, when it comes to assessing how healthy we are, mental health is often just an afterthought. But Look around today and one in two people in the US really suffer from mental challenges such as anxiety and depression. Pretty remarkable stat and trend line. And research is really proving that mental and physical health problems are tightly intertwined. So it seems to me, Grace, that our health system is now waking up to taking our mental state seriously after all this time, and you really sit at the center of this awakening. Can you share what drew you personally to the industry and what you saw as needing changing within it? No, absolutely. I think like many other startup founders, it's the personal experience that you encounter with a particular problem that makes you want to wake up every day to envision a world that's different from what you would experience, particularly when there are really hard and challenging. And for myself, um, I was quite lucky in that I found a co-founder and partner um, in the early days of Kintsugi, where we were able to share some of those common challenges. And the common challenge that we encountered was, for myself a few years ago, 
not being able to access a therapist through our provider network and calling for five months at a time to just have anyone call me back for scheduling that first appointment. Now, as disappointing as that was for myself, if this were my dad or younger brother, um, it would be quite a catastrophe to think that someone who is courageous enough to take that first step is met with so much challenge just in speaking to anyone. And uh, my co-founder, Rima, had experienced something quite similar where she had postpartum with her first child and was requested to set up an appointment with a therapist and calling for two months at a time where she similarly wasn't able to access care. And so I think our underpinnings as being engineers and scientists is really seeing this problem through a different lens. We know that clinicians definitely want to be able to help their patients, but we as an organization clearly saw this as an infrastructure issue where you have so many people just trying to jam through that front door, but not a lot of visibility as to who is severely depressed and who is low to moderate. And so by putting our minds together, we wanted to address that very bottleneck. And if we could provide that visibility, we could serve to really facilitate the identification and triage of care of patients who are really in need of support. And what role does voice then play in solving that challenge? I think what has been really remarkable about the last, call it five years, is that the ability to apply machine learning to different types of data processing is really quite remarkable. And voice is such a subset where we can analyze the signals that are inherent in each of our voices. And based on research, both in clinical and academia, there have been a lot of correlations specific to classical features like pitch, prosody, these spectral and prosodic features that correlate with depression. And the beauty of where we are today, where compute has gone down to a price that um, startups can start to apply modeling efforts to, what is really remarkable is that we have been able to discover a way to be able to identify voice biomarkers specifically as it correlates to depression through short snippets of freeform speech. That's really remarkable. So this is technology that doesn't listen to what we say, but rather how we say it. Is it also a technology that is able to differentiate between someone who's feeling maybe anxious within the moment and someone who is chronically anxious or chronically depressed? Yeah, that's a great question. We get that question very often. Um, people would like to understand, is our technology just capturing somebody who's maybe angry or just temporarily sad? And uh, the labels by which we gather the um, data and annotations are associated with the, um, the clinical definition of depression, which encompasses more than a two-week period. And so what we are detecting is depression of a clinical value over a two-week period. 
in a 20 to 60 second segment of speech. Wow, that's really remarkable there. And and what are the kind of results that you're seeing in terms of the accuracy? And then how are you actually quantifying that as being clinically accurate? Yeah, I think what is really important for us is in the domain of machine learning, it is uh, quite a hot topic to cover bias, for example. And so we have been very diligent from the very beginning to really look at how large and diverse a data set we can build so that we can get to the performance results that we see today. The accuracy of our models depend on the quality and fidelity of the data, but on average in high fidelity cases like the ones that we have in a telehealth meeting, uh, we're looking between 70 to 80% accuracy, sensitivity, and specificity where there are sort of lower fidelity audio, like in a call center, that will dip down to somewhere in the upper 60s to 70s. So we're quite excited that compared to the repeatability of our tools result and a primary care physician's diagnosis, typically a primary care physician is only able to positively identify depression about 47.3% of the time, and maybe he or she will write it down 30% in the clinical notes. But the challenge there, as we can see, is that 60 to 70% of people just clearly fall um, out of that um, ability to be even identified in the first place. Let's fast forward a little bit here. You have this amazing innovation in unlocking data within someone's voice and analyzing these voice biomarkers. It's almost akin to what the blood test did to analyze physical conditions and help us identify those. Voice is now becoming that for cognitive health. If you fast forward five years, which is the premise of of this podcast, what does that future of the mental health industry look like and the healthcare industry more broadly in your eyes? I think what would be really fantastic to be able to see in the next five years is that some of the signals that we already exhibit through speaking, in our sleep and nutrition and all of these additional sort of um, inputs is categorized in such a way that technology can help support and customize and personalize a set of treatments and healthcare information so that individuals can feel empowered to really take on different aspects of their healthcare. I think today um, there is an overwhelming burden on your general practitioner to solve everything. And by having tools like Kintsugi, it does offer some specialist abilities to these generalists. But I do see a few years out where if we can provide additional signals to relaying the mental and behavioral health of an individual and not just some of the physical sort of um, metrics that we see today, this can really help shape um, the health of our society and access to mental health care really can start with something that helps raise the um, identification of very severe patients so that we can get those individuals directly to a person to have those um, subsequent set of issues uh, worked on. And 
are you seeing it as something that moves from maybe a self-selected check-in basis with your practitioner to more of a real-time monitoring through perhaps the devices that we have on us every day? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, Earlier today, I had a chance to speak with um, kind of an industry expert in Japan who um, is looking at health a lot more holistically, and they're developing devices so that the information that it consumes at that specific point in time, whether it's in your living room or kitchen and not just in an appointment setting, relay some real-time information that the um, consumer can use is a very powerful narrative to letting um, each of us as individuals become much more informed about what aspects of our health and what aspects of like our livelihoods could be augmented through this kind of specialized expertise um, that is part of the devices that we live with. And there's obviously a natural aversion from maybe the wider population about being monitored by any of their devices. What, what are you seeing in terms of the privacy concerns in a future like that? It, it seems clear that with what you're building, you're not listening to what we're saying, which I think is important, but there certainly should be some concerns on what is actually being recorded, the data being stored, and, and just the perception really from the general population. Yeah, I do think that the way we design and thoughtfully design how this data is consumed is transparent to consumers. With the use of our technology in the deployments that we have, a consent is always administered so that a patient may opt out of the screen if he or she is not interested in the screen. Now, when we have um, certain technologies become much more prevalent in our homes that can do a multitude of things. Some of the consent may become less clear, but I would imagine to help um, with the adoption of these sort of technologies, new ways of designing the sort of user flow so that people can understand how information is being consumed will build a, a longer term trust and ability to make some of these products much more useful and also tasteful to the um, users who provide that data. And when we're talking about these kind of products, is this in your mind being distributed or an area where Apple and Google, who have all the distribution platforms, who have the trust of their users, are they leading the charge of distributing this type of voice biomarker technology or does it sit in the healthcare system itself? I think this is an interesting question because... um, All the big tech players want to play in the healthcare space because so much of the infrastructure in healthcare is dated that these industry captains have already solved some flavor of this challenge in the products that they've built. And so naturally, there's an inclination to want to levy that set of experiences into healthcare, which is in dire need of that expertise in this set of products. Now, healthcare has a different set of regulations and kind of similar to fintech and um, financial regulations, there's just additional protections that need to be made to patients and users so that um, at the end of the day, even though these are for-profit 
companies, the individuals are still protected through these different types of thoughtful measures as it pertains to data privacy and the use of the data used specifically for a um, a healthcare reason versus uh, something kind of adjacent like in advertising or uh, some of those other ancillary areas where no one would necessarily expect that data to be used in. Back to the voice biomarker technology, because I think it is such a groundbreaking innovation here. Kintsugi is applying it in a really focused area in mental health with anxiety and depression. What else could this analysis of our voice start to identify in terms of other diseases, potentially Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, etc. What what are you seeing out there at the frontier of this innovation? I think we've seen quite a few voice forward innovations uh, in the past in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. I think in the future, COPD, CHF, I think we saw some innovation around COVID um, diagnostics being just using the voice as like one way of being able to elevate that. I think that we are just at the beginning of being able to bring together these different signals and translate them into something actionable and meaningful. And so we're kind of at a very early stage of that. And so lots of exciting new inventions and innovations will will occur as we start to structure and learn more about these different types of data. That would be an incredible future to have that in place. Is it really just about having enough corpus of data linked to the actual outcomes themselves and allowing for AI and ML to draw those correlations? Is it really a data problem? Uh, in a lot of cases, it's it is a data problem. Uh, I think that it, luckily in academia and clinical studies, there are enough smaller scale studies to kind of help entrepreneurs and practitioners look at what, what has already been empirically tested to go a little bit deeper in. Um, a lot of the data and labels associated with some other disease states as it pertains to like sleep or pertains to some other physiological factors and inputs have never been measured. And so um, that does mean that with creativity and innovation, something may come of that. And with a lot of sort of science experiments, sometimes nothing comes of it. But by having some of this data structured and analyzed and the ability to see um, what things affect each other, I think at a very large scale that can have a pretty tremendous impact on the way we perceive how personalized healthcare could be. Is that something that you're excited about from the Kintsugi standpoint? Is Kintsugi going to be a company in five years' time that's tackling different types of cognitive challenges or are you really focused on anxiety and depression? I think it will be interesting to look at what some of that other additional data we pick up will be. Um, we know that depression and anxiety have a very, very wide surface area. And as we're able to look at some of these additional factors of health 
it will be really interesting to understand what additional signals improve or decline health. And that's something that is really up our uh, sort of wheelhouse uh, in terms of being able to analyze data and being able to provide the kind of insights that are useful um, and connections that will help get people to the proper level of care at their time of need. And I mentioned in the introduction that there's a link between our physical well-being and our mental well-being that's quite intertwined. What are you seeing on your side, that linkage in terms of how we feel with how we actually are physically healthy? Well, um, aside from just, you know, Kintsugi's own internal data, there have been a number of clinical studies that cite that there is about 80% comorbidity with depression and chronic conditions. So chronic conditions like diabetes, CHF, COPD. And whenever there is this um, big of an intersection, the sort of costs that come from being able to identify where there's this intersection, the cost of care for that individual is measured to be two to five times greater than if we just treated the depression on its own. And so there's significant reason why we want to be able to unearth this and treat those that are struggling with depression so that some of these additional costs of chronic conditions don't become hyperinflated. Well, Grace, thank you so much. And thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing at Kintsugi and helping the world address this mental health pandemic in a really innovative way. Um, I'm wishing you all the best on the onward journey. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Daniel, for having me. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed chatting to Grace and walk away completely amazed by the potential of triaging cognitive conditions using just our voice. The innovation has the potential to do for mental health what blood tests did for identifying physical conditions such as heart disease and diabetes. But what really stands out to me is how globally scalable and efficient this digital solution is. These AI models can be just as effective in a telemedicine call from rural India, say, as they can be in a GP visit in Manhattan. Precisely the scalability and innovation necessary to address the tsunami of mental health issues facing our society. It's also incredible to reflect on how the accuracy of analysis will only improve as more data is applied unlocking the potential for more complex disease diagnosis such as Alzheimer's and how wonderful a future would that be. For more on Kintsugi's pioneering work, visit kintsugihealth.com. That's spelled K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I health.com. And you connect with Grace on Twitter. Just visit her at G-R-E-H-C-E. If you'd like to connect with me about this topic or are launching a startup in this space, please shoot me an email, danieldarling at focal.vc. That's F-O-C-A-L dot V-C. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you're there, drop us a rating. That will mean a great deal. Until next time, enjoy your week and see you at the next episode.